Today, we are talking about the years from 2000 through 2006. Some people call those the bridge years between Nick Saban and Mark D'Antonio. But those are the eras with Bobby Williams, a brief appearance with Morris Watts for three games as a Spartans head coach, and John L. Smith, and tons of amazing memories in that span, more so than accomplishments on the field. But Bobby Williams is the Michigan State coach with the best bowl record. A lot of people would not know that he's 2-0. He took over for Nick Saban the end of the 1999 season, that 9-2 and team, and got win number 10 against Florida. And then in 2001, got another victory uh, in the Silicon Valley Bowl against Fresno State and uh, David Carr, the number one draft pick. But when Bobby Williams took over at Michigan State, uh, there was a lot of consternation. What should Michigan State do? And Nick had left because primarily he had a contract dispute with President Peter McPherson. Those two were never really on the same page the entire time that Saban was at Michigan State. And before Nick showed up in 1995, McPherson was very close to signing Tom Osborne from Nebraska, the biggest contract ever paid to a collegiate football coach. And it didn't work out because Tom Osborne's staff wouldn't come to East Lansing. And uh, the Cornhuskers were just on the verge of their first of three national titles in four years. Pretty good decision for Tom Osborne. But when he retired after the 1997 co-national title with Michigan, Two years later, this job comes open again, and Peter McPherson doubles down. He goes back after Tom Osborne again, and really thought he had him this time. But Tom Osborne's family wouldn't sign off on it. And so it never happened for Osborne to get to Michigan State, just as it didn't happen for Barry Switzer, just as it didn't happen for Newt Rockney. Um, so many situations uh, where Michigan State was positioned to have uh, Hall of Fame coaches, and uh, it didn't quite happen. So Bobby Williams took over on an interim basis, and the players went to Cowell's house, the president's residence, and uh, demanded that Bobby Williams be given a chance to coach this team. And that's exactly what happened. Uh Joel Ferguson, member of the Board of Trustees, was instrumental in making this happen. And uh, he started off with that win in the bowl game, and people thought, hey, you know, this, is a, this might work out. It's a pretty good deal. And uh, then there was a disappointing season, uh, very disappointing by, by standards at that time. Uh, did not make a bowl game. Then came back, as I said, in the tremendous performance against Michigan in 2001. We'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, then the 2002 season, um, everything exploded. I want to welcome in a guy who <laughs> was signed by the Saban staff. And uh, I think to this day, he and Amp Campbell debate who the best player ever was from Sarasota, Florida to play for the green and white, or maybe just play period. Want to welcome in number two, 
All-America kick returner and a very good receiver as well, Herb Haygood. Herb, how are you? I'm doing great, Jack. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us why you came from Sarasota up to Michigan State? <laughs> well, first, it was an opportunity to play running back, um, <laughs> which Coach Saban, <laughs> you know, I know we're laughing at it now. Um, but he was one of uh, about four schools that gave me the opportunity to play running back. And as you mentioned earlier, um, one of my really close friends, Amp Campbell, um, was on the team. Um, yeah. So that was that's really the reason I, I came up. Did you have any idea uh, your sophomore year, after the success you'd have, that Nick Saban might be leaving? Uh, none. None. Uh, I think it caught all of us um, off by, off surprise. You know, um, there was no indication that he, he would be leaving. Um, so when it happened, it, it was a shock to all of us. And you were pretty happy. I think most players were to have Bobby Williams get a chance to take over. Had some continuity going. This is a 10-win a team, and it looked like uh, things were very bright. Yeah. Uh, you know, Coach Williams started off as my position coach, so um, and to this day we, we still are very, very close. Um, yeah, the entire team was behind Coach Williams. Uh, we wanted him. He, he was, uh, at the time, considered a player's coach. I would do anything for you. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're very excited to have him. Herb, you've done a lot of coaching. What was the big difference between playing for Nick and playing for Bobby, and why did that not work the way that everyone thought it would? Um, you know, I've thought about this a lot. I'm not sure there was a, a huge difference other than, um, you know, the leadership in the locker room. The leadership uh-huh. in the locker room was different. Okay. Um, after after we left, so I think that was the biggest di- difference. Um, right, you know, because we had some pretty talented players, but right. pretty much we we policed ourselves. Um, where I think some of that stuff got away um, after my senior year. Uh, no one could match Nick Saban's sideline intensity, but uh, you can just substitute some of the players when. Plexico Burris leaves, in comes Charles Rogers. When Bill Burke is gone, in comes Jeff Smoker. And there were a lot of talented players on those teams in 2000, 2001, and in 2002. And the plan is that we're going to talk with Jeff in just a couple of minutes. But I want to go back through a couple of games here and uh, some of the highlights of your career, Herb. 1999. Uh, undefeated Michigan State, number 11 in the country, hosts undefeated Michigan, number 3 in the country, and uh, Spartans win that game, 34-31. Plex goes crazy. Burke throws for 400 yards, and uh, Burris has 255 yards and catches, and uh, Michigan State beats Tom Brady and company. What do you remember about that incredible day in East Lansing? Um, I, I remember, um, first of all, Plex was a man-child um, that game. Um, and I remember uh, Michigan trying to do everything they could to, to try to stop yeah. him, including yeah. putting David Terrell um, yeah. as a defensive back on him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we saw what happened with that. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our team was ready for that game. 
you know, there was nothing that was going to stop us from, you know, um, being successful. Um, right. I think leading up to it, you know, anytime there's a Michigan-Michigan State rivalry, um, regardless of the records, uh, a lot of the players know each other. Um, although I didn't grow up in Michigan, I, I quickly understood, you know, um, the rivalry between the two schools. Um, it was just an awesome day for us. I want to go on to the uh, 2000 season. Uh, this is after you have beaten Florida, which had to feel great for you and for Amp and for Paul Ettinger and for all of the players from Florida to finally shut up the Gator fans. But the next year, you got Ryan Van Dyke is a starting quarterback, and he goes down in the first game. So Jeff Smoker comes in, true freshman. Five-star recruit, as heralded a quarterback prospect as Michigan State has ever signed. And he starts with a win at Missouri and his first real appearance. Then you come home to play Notre Dame. And it looks like uh, the Irish are going to skank away with another victory. It's 21-20. Late in the game, Michigan State is to a fourth down situation uh, its own 32-yard line. And suddenly, there's Herb Haygood streaking over the middle, catching that pass and heading toward the scoreboard, the south end of the stadium. And you could look look up and see yourself be the hero of the day. <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of people played a part in that. Um, like previously, we were in the same play from the opposite side and you know, Jeff had the, um, you know, he, he's just cool under pressure for the most part. Yeah. You know, um, you know, hit, hitting TJ with the check down um, to make it a, a manageable, you know, fourth down. Um, unfortunately for Notre Dame, they decided to blitz on that, and we just, hmm. uh, we connected. You know, we connected with me breaking off my route, uh, what we call a hot or a sight, sight adjustment. Right. And, you know, Jeff, you know, sat there in the pocket and, and, and hit me in stride. Protection was good enough, picking up the blitz uh, for him to have the time to find you. But that blitz did not work nearly as well as Nick Saban's blitz at Ohio State two years earlier when Ronaldo Hill made that big interception on fourth down. This time, you've got the ball. Nobody can catch you. You're the fastest guy on the field at that point. What are you thinking as you're getting close to the end zone realizing we just won this game. <laughs> I think my comment was all I saw was cheerleaders. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, uh, if you watch the play, you see me about to put up the number one sign, and I, I knew if I did that, I, I would have what we call eight eight eight. So I brought it down really quickly <laughs> to make sure I wasn't in trouble the next day. Eight eight eight. That has something to do with eight a.m. Ah, uh, it's actually six a.m. It's a. Uh, um, oh, okay. It's just what, what we call a friendly reminder. So it's, it's eight laps. Eight laps around the track. Uh, eight hundred yards of rolls and eight hundred yards of up down. Whoa! <laughs> so, in so, most well, that might players that twice. Yeah, yeah. Most Barton players on the coach Saban and Coach Williams know all about those, and. <laughs> And unfortunately, I had to introduce that to my current team 
um, a few times. <laughs> uh, you are doing one of the toughest things in sports now, Herb. Uh, you've taken over a program. After having been an assistant, uh, different programs, now you are starting a program from scratch. Uh, I've known 11 guys who have tried to do this, and only one of them was successful, and he wound up in the College Football Hall of Fame for it. Uh, so when you think about the challenge you have now, uh, pretty tough stuff, but you faced a lot of tough times at Michigan State, and in 2001, you became an All-American. Two different services named you as the All-American kick returner, and you had hundred 100-yard return against Iowa, but you had back-to-back weeks with kickoff returns for touchdowns, right? Yes, sir. Uh, the Northwestern game um, was the, the first one, and after that was the Iowa game, um, University of Iowa. Um, and then after that, of course, you know, we pretty much stopped getting kickoff returns. Um, <laughs> but but you're, you're definitely right. Uh, it, it's a tough job here. Um, yeah. But, you know, my entire college and professional career kind of led me to this position. You're about to mention about the Ohio State uh, game in 98, where Coach Saban uh, would tell you that's where the process has started with him and how he goes about mindset and all of that stuff. And it's some of the same um, stuff I'm trying to you know create here at, um, at Madonna, um, you know, with the mindset and understanding um, it is a process to make sure we develop these young men, um, not only become good football players, but, you know, good people in the community. Hey, Herb, we have another guest with us, and I want to give you the chance to do the introduction on your quarterback, Jeff Smoker. What can you tell us? I can tell you, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks from Pennsylvania, uh, my man Jeff Smoker. <laughs> my man Jeff All the great Smoker. quarterbacks come from Pennsylvania, right? That's right. Well, I hope so. How you doing, Herb? I'm, I'm doing great. How are you, Jeff? <laughs> Good, man. Good to talk to you. You, you know, too. we used to you say uh, it was uh, smoke to herb. It was nine to two, and uh, those weren't short business hours. That was a deadly pass combination. Uh, Jeff, I, I want to go back to the beginning of your Michigan State career because before you got here, uh, I was on vacation in Tennessee. And I got a call from Nick Saban, and I didn't think he could ever find me. He was pretty good at doing that. But I didn't think he would find me uh, at a place called Crossville, Tennessee. And he said, we just got Jeff Smoker. You got to call him. We got Jeff Smoker. And I'm like, well, that's good. Thanks, Nick. And I'll do that when I get back from vacation. No, you got to call him today. So he was as excited about getting a commitment from you as any player he ever landed at Michigan State, and it didn't take long to see why, uh, you came in to relieve Ryan after that injury against Marshall. You get a, a big road win uh, at Missouri, and then you come back to play Notre Dame, and Jeff Herb was just talking about how cool and poised you were under pressure. Now, you got a fourth-down situation, a nationally televised game, uh, against maybe uh, the most 
uh, beloved and hated program in college football history. All eyes are on you. Can you take us through that touchdown pass to Haygood? Yeah, well, Jack, first of all, I wasn't as cool as it may have seemed. <laughs> there was a lot going on. <laughs> it may have seemed that way uh, watching the game under the helmet. There it was a lot going on. Um, but, yeah, we it, it, the play before that, we had actually run the exact same play as on fourth down. So on third down, I threw an incompletion. Herb, come, being Herb, comes back to the huddle and says, <laughs> Smoke, man, I was open. Throw me the damn ball. <laughs> Coach, Coach, uh, Coach Morris Watts, offense coordinator that year, called in the yeah. same play. They blitzed the linebacker off Herb's side, and I was already looking for Herb because he had yelled at me the play before. So, yeah. Um, and they had blitzed, and there was an opening, and I just got it out of my hands and got it to him as quick as I could, and he did, he did the rest of it with the speed. So what's it like running down the field after him, and he's getting close to the end zone, but you're going to catch him, and uh, you want to celebrate with him knowing you've just beaten Notre Dame in dramatic fashion. Yeah, no, it's it's well, it's one of the fun things about you know throwing touchdown passes, running down the field and celebrating with your teammates, you know, and that was definitely yeah. a special one, you know, being uh, at the end of the game there and 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 being against Notre Dame, such a big rivalry. So um, yeah, it was a good run down the field. <laughs> and then you go on uh, with Charles Rogers, and uh, you're starting to do some amazing things in 2001. But before you get to that record-setting performance in the bowl game, there's a little matchup with Michigan in Spartan Stadium again. And uh, a furious finish to that game. Uh, People still want to come to blows over that to this day. And uh, you're running with the ball, trying to get in on a scramble play, and you get stopped just short of the goal line. Meanwhile... The seconds are ticking down. Can you take us through that and what you did to spike the ball? Well, yeah, I I, I didn't have any open receivers. The, the play that I ran it ran it in, and I I thought I had a chance at at scoring if I just ran with it, and I didn't. And heck, I I peeked up at the clock and I got the guys. You know, I was waving my arms and saying, you know, "Spike it, spike it, get up there as quick as we can." I had no idea if we were going to get it off or not, um, but we did. You know, and there was one second left, regardless yeah. of what anyone says. Um, uh, a you know, lot of different history. reviews of that. The Big Ten Conference even had a frame-by-frame review saying that, yes, there was time left on the clock. It was properly administered. But the appearances of having it done by the home team's clock operator, a guy known as Spartan Bob, uh, the appearance of impropriety sometimes is enough. So they changed the rule on how that was kept. That would be uh, kept officially down on the field. But now uh, you get up and you realize that there's a set partial second left on the clock anyway. And you have one more shot. Now you start to roll to the right and uh, lots of different possibilities for you. But again, this is the cool smoker that everyone remembers. And you wait it and wait it and wait it. And then you lob that ball up and... I thought TJ was going to fair catch it. <laughs> well, he was waving his hands in the air, but uh, at the snap, I was looking to the right. TJ was lined yeah. up to the right. Charles Rogers was lined up to the right. Uh, I looked right initially, and they weren't open. They were both running crossing patterns across the other 
the other side of the field. So my next thought was, okay, let me see if I can run it in. I tried to run it in. I saw somebody bearing down on me, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to run this in. So my first thought was to look back across the field, and when I did that, I saw TJ back there waving his hands. And there was a few defenders in my direction, so I couldn't kind of throw it on the line, and I was about to get lit up as well. So I had to put a little bit of air on it. And that's what I did, and it made it over one of the defenders' hands just barely and kind of right into TJ's lap. So, you know, everyone's kind of like, hey, did you just toss that up in the air? And I was like, no, I was, that was meant to go to TJ. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the pandemonium after that one, uh, people still can remember where they were, uh, that mob scene. And uh, the celebration for a victory like that after you had been sacked a record number of times during that game. And people forget that T.J. Duckett had a lot to do with that victory before he made that catch. He had 211 yards rushing. They say the team that rushes the ball better deserves to win that game. And, and he was over two bills. And uh, there were two big penalties on that last drive as well. There was one for Michigan having too many players on the field on a fourth down stop. And another one where uh, a defensive back, Jeremy Lasseur, tried to decapitate Chuck, took his helmet off on an incomplete pass to the other side. So uh, you had a lot of lives on that drive. And uh, what was it like to know that uh, you had taken a beating and you kept on ticking? Yeah, we we definitely got a couple chances on that drive that uh, maybe we shouldn't have. But, uh, you know, that's beside the point. But I'll tell you what, if taking the, the beating that I took on the bottom of the pile, Jack, was probably <laughs> worse than the beating that I took the entire game because I got in there somewhere near the bottom or the middle, and guys kept piling on and piling on, and I couldn't breathe and try to tell, you know, tell people to get off. And uh, But, you know, it was worth it. But, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's the game that I countless times I couldn't find a dollar for every time I've talked about that game, Jack. That's the game that everybody remembers. They know exactly where they were watching it, where they were sitting. They always want to talk about that game, whether it's a Michigan State fan that, that wants to uh, talk about the victory or a Michigan fan that wants to complain about the clock. And, uh, right. But it's all fun, and uh, it's, it's fond, fond memories. Well, you say to people, 9-8, to eight, they know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, that was that pass from Smoker to Duckett. And then you go on, and you're playing in the bowl game, and it was the last game uh, for uh, T.J. Duckett. But uh, uh, you're back. Uh, you got another chance uh, with Chuck, and he goes on, and he wins the, the uh, Bolitnikoff Award. But that day was one of the best offensive shows. You talk about balance. Uh, Michigan State was running it great, and you were throwing it great. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was a heck of a, a bowl game. We got kind of gotten a uh, a shootout with Fresno State and, and David Carr, and uh, Chuck and I were just kind of on the same page that day, and uh, we kind of put on an offensive display, and uh, and, and it was a great trip and great bowl, uh, bowl game and great victory. So, yeah, at that point, I think everyone thought, well. This is a program that has turned the corner. Bobby Williams had won his second bowl game. They had a pass-catch combination. You'd thrown for 376 yards that day, and Chuck had an MSU record 270 yards in receptions. 
Things looked very bright going into 2002. And then the bottom fell off, fell out. There were injuries. There were problems. Uh, you had your situations. And we thought maybe we had seen the last of Jeff Smoker. But it was one of the great comeback stories in Big Ten history. Uh, Bobby was gone. And in comes John L. Smith. And he believes in you. Maybe he saw the ability. Maybe he just, just saw something special. Can you talk about that 2002 and 2003 bounce back and uh, how that felt to get John L. Smith off to such a good start? Yeah, no, uh, 2002 was a rough season for everybody. You know, we, we weren't playing well. And, um, you know, there were a lot of things that happened that season that uh, people don't know about. And I'm not going to get into, into all that stuff. But uh, yeah. John L. came in and, and, and gave me another chance. And, um you know, he had sat down and talked. I think he got to know me and the person that I was and, and, and you know, thought that I deserved another chance. And and uh, he gave me that opportunity, and uh, I just kind of ran with it. And, and I loved the offense that he brought in. It was a spread attack, and we were throwing the ball all over the place. And uh, it, that was a fun year in 2003. You think about that and some of those numbers, Jeff. Uh, MSU record 302 completions in one year. You can look at uh, – there's so many passing yards here, uh, 3,395 yards. Uh, a lot of things went right, and then uh, you get to the bowl game and it didn't end quite the way you wanted. No, it didn't. I, you know, I think, Zach, what happened, we kind of caught a lot of people by surprise in the Big Ten with that spread offense because people weren't used to it. So we came out slinging it around. We were spread out, and, and teams didn't know what to do. And then about midway to three-quarters of the way through the season, we ran into uh, Wisconsin. I think that was our first loss. And they tagged us good, like 63 to 10 or something it was. It was bad. Right. And they played a whole different defense. They had three down linemen and like six defensive backs and, <laughs> and just played us differently. Yeah. And from that point on, teams kind of mirrored that scheme against us. And it was tougher uh, near the end of the season. Uh, we weren't able to get away with some of the things we were earlier in the year, and we didn't, we didn't, we didn't make adjustments. Um, the other teams did. Uh, and then we saw we got Nebraska in the bowl game. And, uh, yeah, it didn't end well. But it was, it was a fun season. We, you know, we won a lot of games. And uh, it was a good start to John Ellis' career and a good, a good end to mine. We talked with uh, Herb about his coaching uh, after he's done playing. And uh, you, you had chances to play uh, professional football as well. I uh, remember you with the Rams. Uh, can you bring our listeners up to speed on what you're doing now on the west side of the state? Yeah, I uh, I moved to Grant. I grew up, most people well, I probably already know, grew up in a small town, uh, Pennsylvania, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where all the Amish are. I moved back there after playing football and just didn't enjoy living there. Um, and, and my first thought, I was single at the time, and where I wanted to settle was someplace in Michigan. And uh, I'd visited Grand Rapids quite a bit. I had a lot of friends and alumni that I knew here. And uh, so I kind of settled up here. This would have been 2010, so 12 years ago. Um, and met my wife here. Uh, I now have two daughters. Uh, one's five and one's two. Um, and I've been working here in construction. I did, did a few things after school, some social work and whatnot. Uh, but got back into construction. This is what I knew. My dad was a drywaller and enjoyed working with my hands. And, uh, yeah, so we live in Grand Rapids now. And uh, we got the girls actually introduced to Spartan football this year. We took, we took them to our, their first game 
okay. this year. Yeah, this year, and uh, that went great. They loved it. So we got their feet wet with that, so so we'll be going to some more. Jeff, I want to give you a chance to make an introduction. Our next guest is a guy who came in, and, and he was almost as heralded as you were. Uh, he was a tremendous high school quarterback at Farmington Hills Harrison. Came in, and uh, your last game, that Nebraska Bowl game, was a game when he got hurt uh, on a punt play, but went on and uh, set a lot of records, uh, including leading Michigan State to the greatest comeback in NCAA football history. What can you tell us about Drew Stanton? Drew, well, Drew's a heck of a guy, first of all, and a heck of a player. I think. Going back to that play, I remember when he blew his knee out, and that was so unfortunate. And I remember being out on the sidelines, and his dad's hanging over the edge, cussing out uh, John L. for having him on the field in special teams. And, but uh, luckily, he bounced back from that. And uh, Drew had a heck of a most, you know, the biggest thing I remember is getting along with Drew. Like we, you know, we hit it off right away. He's an easy guy to talk to, easy guy to get along with. It was always competition, but it was. It was always friendly. We'd hang out after practice and whatnot. And uh, I love Drew. Just texted him the other day. What's going on, Drew? Hey, how's it going, man? Good. You doing well? I'm doing good. I'm, yeah, yeah. you brought up the bowl game, and I'm like, oh, man, that's, that's one to forget. And obviously the Wisconsin game that we got drubbed, too. Selfishly, that was my first career touchdown, though. So it was like that 63-10, to 10, you know, I felt like I actually had a hand in it. But it was uh, – you know, very fortunate to be able to learn from you, man. And, uh, again, that friendship that you talked about off the field was something that I treasured as well. Hey, Drew, I, I want to talk about some of the other games. And and uh, there was a quarterback competition. Actually, it uh, looked like three different guys could have been quarterbacking that team in 2004. And eventually uh, you get the job. But a lot of people thought that maybe you should have had it all, all along. But uh, you had a recovery to make. And, now we're in 2004, and this Michigan State team stuns uh, number four, Wisconsin. Number four, Wisconsin. And Michigan State wins 49-14 at night. And now you got a situation when you go to Ann Arbor, and uh, this offense is a load for any defensive coordinator, and you're going up and down the field at Michigan Stadium. Spartans lead this game 27-10. to 10. And uh, DeAndre Cobb is unstoppable. They had no idea what to do with you. And all of a sudden, uh, Lamar Woodley gets the idea that, you know, maybe the best thing to do is just keep hitting uh, Drew Stanton. And uh, as it turned out, he hits you one time too many and puts you out of the game. What do you remember about that? And the Wolverines' incredible triple overtime win. Yeah, uh you know, Lamar and I were teammates out here in Arizona after the fact, and I think he still feels bad about that. But, you know, he just caught me at the wrong place, wrong time. I couldn't brace my fall. I landed on my shoulder and separated, and I was still trying to fight Sally Noble to get back in the game. And she was like, you're absolutely crazy. I was like, just tape it up. I'm good. I swear I can I don't know what I can do. Just I'm not coming out of the game. And she was like, no, you're going to go in there. They, they tried to help me uh, see what I could do, and it was – you know, it was so elevated I couldn't even grab a football. So I had to sit there in agony for the second half and uh, unfortunately watch that lead dwindle and uh, ultimately a very somber bus ride back to East Lansing. I had a diehard Michigan fan tell me that that's about as frustrated as any Wolverines defense has been in a game. And if you had stayed in, Michigan State would have won by three touchdowns 
instead of losing in three overtimes. But there were two other games uh, that were frustrating. And then we're going to talk about uh, the greatest comeback in history. But uh, people say that if the 2004 Michigan game, the 2005 Ohio State game, and the 2006 Notre Dame game had gone the way that they could have and maybe should have, that John L. Smith might have had a long coaching career in East Lansing. And who knows if we ever would have had the Mark D'Antonio era. I want to go back to 2005 in Columbus and Michigan State again in control of the Buckeyes. Uh, seconds are ticking down at the end of the first half, and uh, the call comes in from the sideline for fast field goal. And coaches are, what's this? Who, who, who made that call? Suddenly, people are coming on the field. There are not enough players on the field. The snap is made. Kick is blocked. Goes back for an Ohio State touchdown. The Buckeyes go on and win. But a lot of people forget that even after that, in the third quarter, you let a big drive and Michigan State again took the lead. Did you think you were going to get OSU in the shoe? You know, uh, we gave them our best shot. Anytime I stepped foot on the football on the football field, I felt like we were going to win with that offense. It was dynamic, as Jeff talked about. We were able to disperse the ball. I mean, you go back to those game plans that we talked about, those games in particular, talking about Michigan, talking about Ohio State, Notre Dame. Those are all fierce competitive rivalries that we wanted to put our best foot forward. We had great game plans. We knew that they had great defenses we were going up against, but we did a, a tremendous job of changing the launch point of keeping them off balance of getting the ball out quickly of taking deep shots of doing different things and you know i think it's 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 difficult because you want to be able to especially on the road take momentum seize it and as soon as that play happened which again uh, it's a testament to john o. smith i have so much respect for him how he yeah. carried himself how he led as a man uh, and some tough times. He covered up some of the mistakes of other people that were beneath him, whether it was a defensive coordinator, whether it was a quality control guy or a graduate assistant that might have said something. Whatever it was, he knew that it all started and stopped with him, and he was accountable to that. Could he have potentially stayed along, uh, you know, longer if he had gotten rid of some of his coordinators? For sure. Uh, but I, again, feel very fortunate to be with a man that said, you know what, I am the leader and we're going to get this right. Because you see college coaches, that they'll fire their offensive coordinator, they'll fire their defensive coordinator, they'll fire somebody. But John L. wouldn't do that. And I think his offense, that high-flying offense that I was a part of, you know, it was fantastic and it put up a ton of points. Uh, you know, everybody always leads that Michigan game and said, well, you know, if you wouldn't have gotten hurt. Well, I did, though, and I uh, unfortunately did get hurt, and we lost that game. You know, unfortunately, we had miscommunication against Ohio State, and we didn't know what was happening. We still had an opportunity, but we didn't get it done. I mean, individual accolades are great at the quarterback position, but ultimately you're measured by wins and losses as a team, and this is a team game. Uh, exactly. And uh, I didn't know John L. Smith as well as I knew uh, the other coaches here since 1969. But I can tell you this. Uh, over the years, I've developed uh, appreciation for some of the things he did off the field. And uh, not just the offense, Drew. Everyone knows about that and how exciting that was. I mean, you were going to put up 30, 35, 40 points most, most games. But some of the other things he did for people, uh, giving Jeff Smoker the second chance, uh, starting really the Players Association, 
getting that going and what that means to Michigan State to this day. John L. Smith had a ton to do with that. Uh, so many of the other things that he was involved with academically, uh, Michigan State, frankly, was a mess when he took over. And uh, he rectified that situation in a hurry and went from guys who were on academic probation to being academic all Big Ten. It's just too bad it, it could not have worked out better. And in 2006, maybe that was exemplified by the Notre Dame game when uh, you played so well and had that big lead when the monsoon hit. And then after the delay, came back out and the script flipped and uh, everything that Notre Dame had done wrong, it did right. And the Irish escaped with a win. What do you remember about that crazy night? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? We we felt like we were doing everything we wanted to then. We were executing the game plan. We knew how big of a game that was going to be. I mean, I still have nightmares about, uh, you know, not hitting Gerald Von Ringer in the flat and on a hot route and trying to force the ball to somebody else. I believe it was Matt Tran. And so, you know, those are unfortunate circumstances, uh, especially in those rivalry type of games. I mean, if you recall my – my first crack at really getting a chance to play against a high level of competition, I came in at halftime against Notre Dame when those two other quarterbacks, you know, Damon Dowdell and Stephen Reeves, that he talked about, weren't playing up to the level that the coaches thought they should be. So I knew how much that game meant. I knew how much that rivalry was. And uh, let that big of a lead get away, it's disheartening because as great as that, uh, you know, fast paced offense was, is quickly as we could put points on the board, we always struggle with that four-minute type of offense because we weren't going to yeah. line up and just bully people, right, especially in the Big Ten. We didn't have the ability to do that. So as soon as you feel that lead start to slip a little bit or anything like that, we just we weren't able to sustain it. It wasn't as many things that went well or correctly that needed to to come back from the largest comeback against, Notre, or against Northwestern. It was the opposite of that against Notre Dame where it just snowballed and you just couldn't get it back in, in the grasp of where we needed to, to tilt the scales. October 21st, 2006, Michigan State at Northwestern. And uh, everyone could see the writing on the wall that uh, it was going to come to an end for John L. And Northwestern has a, a massive lead in this game. We're talking about 35-3. to 3. And uh, a lot of people had turned off their television sets. And uh, suddenly we have the greatest comeback in NCAA football history. What do you remember about that crazy day in Evanston? Well, it was funny. When I was just back there a couple weeks ago, before I came back, I was on a podcast with J.U. Culkrick and Otis Wiley, and they remember, do you remember your halftime speech against Northwestern? And I was like, man, if we're going to be honest, guys, that was 2006. I mean, that, that's, that, I don't, I don't. Please remind me, because they're like, well, I mean, you were legendary for the stuff you used to say, and I was like, I, I don't remember half of it. You know, I, apparently I went up there, and I threatened them that nobody's getting on that plane going back to uh, East Lansing unless we find a way to win a football game against a bad Northwestern team. Um, you know, so all I know is, again, the team that showed up in that second half, and I started out the second half of throwing an interception. I forced the ball that I shouldn't yeah. have forced 
tried to make a big play, and, and then the coaches again said, hey, it's going to be one play at a time that gets us back in this game. It's not going to be you know, some magic recipe that we're going to be able to do it. We need to do it. There's plenty of time to do it. And we had a blocked punt for a touchdown. I remember yeah. Caleb Thornhill had a huge interception in the red That's zone right. to take points off the board for them. Um, you know, it, it was just a, a freak type of a situation where we got up into a speed-up offense and we just started rolling. And it felt like we couldn't be stopped that day. And we kept going until we needed to do everything we could to, to get that field goal at the end to win it all. 41 to 38. Uh, talk about a 38-point second half. It was uh, incredible to see. And you can still catch that once in a while that popped that on BTN. But after you left Michigan State, Drew, you had uh, one of the most amazing NFL careers. Uh, Second-round pick of the Detroit Lions, and then you move on, and uh, you keep switching teams, and you wind up on a Super Bowl team. And uh, can you talk about that amazing career and the longevity you had in pro football? Yeah, I mean, it started on pretty tumultuous grounds, right? Uh, I got hurt right off the bat and got put on IR. I didn't even know what IR was. And then two years later, well, I guess the second year in, right, we go 0-16, they fire that staff, bring in, you know, a new whole operation, and they draft Matthew Stafford number one overall. And so I was lucky to be able to get an opportunity to play a little bit there and have some success and regain confidence because of – Scott Linehan and loved my time in Detroit. Uh, and again, I'm very fortunate to be around a lot of great people that kind of built me back up because uh, I, I was tested early in my career um, in a lot of different ways uh, and, and then was able to kind of pay that forward to the, towards the latter part of my career, right? Of just being able to be an advocate for young players, to kind of mentor guys, to help bring them along, to speed up the learning curve, all of those things because, you know, I don't think people realize what a transition it is to go from college to the NFL. And I'm kind of an anomaly because I only started 16 games um, but survived 13 years. And people usually don't get that chance. But I I got the second chance to really kind of reinvent myself. I, I went to Indianapolis and met Bruce Arians. Uh, and Chuck Pagano, and was a part of a great organization, you know, as around Andrew Luck. So, again, the the people are, are what makes this business so special. The people that you connect with, and the people that you, um, you know, create friendships with, and so those are the people that instilled that trust in me. The different work habits in me, the how to prepare as a backup, right? Like you see it now, time and time again, that. Uh, everybody wants to sit there and say it's you know that's the easiest job in America or it's the best job to be the clipboard quarterback. Well, it is until you have to go out there and you don't play well and then you get cut or you don't have a career. So, you know, I was fortunate to be in a position that coaches helped me prepare well. But truth of the matter is, too, I played with Calvin Johnson, Reggie Wayne, and Larry Fitzgerald. So anytime I was on the field, I was looking for those guys first and foremost. We're talking with Drew Stanton, and I've told many people, including Drew, that if I were running a college football program, he'd be the first guy I'd want to hire as an offensive coordinator. And you've had chances to go into coaching. You mentioned Bruce Arians, and uh, he was interested in having you on the staff, getting you going. And Chip Kelly wanted to to talk to you about that. He was interested in having you on board. And now uh, you're out in Arizona, and uh, you're doing a lot of different things, uh, including some coaching, some broadcasting, some podcasts uh, bring our listeners up to speed for Drew Stanton 
and life after football and, of course, your High Five Foundation. Yeah, I mean, the, well, I guess we can start with the High Five Foundation. We had a, a great event this past year of, of partnering with Coach Tucker and taking over what was um, a great outing for the past however many years with Special Olympics with uh, George Perlis and everything that he did. So to kind of reinfuse that with Don Loading and his guys that he has there, it was remarkable. It was such a good turnout. It was something that we're looking forward to doing again. And the High Five Foundation uh, has been able to raise over a million dollars, and that's one of my greatest accomplishments uh, throughout the course of my professional career has been able to contribute to that. And As I pivoted away from being an NFL player, of wanting to stay involved with the game, wanting to be able to to give back to the game that, that gave me so much. It's been fun to do some radio stuff for the Cardinals out here. I started a podcast with A.Q. Shipley, who is a former teammate of mine, Penn State guy, um, but I feel like everybody has podcasts. So we, we have fun with it. We don't take it too serious. Um, we're, we're having fun and enjoying that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, right now I'm just enjoying being a dad. I've got four amazing kids. I have a fantastic wife that I love to spend time with, and she's not sick yeah, of me yet. Yeah. Or at least I don't think she is. Uh, <laughs> but at well, the same time, it's all, I'm lucky. It's always great to see you when you come back for your golf outing or you're just back uh, to visit. And uh, I hope that we will see you again soon. We're talking uh, with Drew Stanton, and and we could do this all day. We didn't even get to the 2005 win at Notre Dame in overtime when they planted yeah, the flag I was, in the field. Right? <laughs> next time, next time, yeah. Next those, time. Those are, those are the good ones. There was, hey, there was a lot of good, and there was a lot of bad. Drew Stanton. Want to welcome in a couple of guys, uh, actually, who have been with us in this series, all 16 episodes. Three more to go, and uh, this project would not have happened uh, without Con Demos and Tom Shanahan. Con, of course, was a Michigan State football manager in the mid-1960s, there for the national championship season in 65. Then uh, he went into uh, working with the equipment staff and to talk about John L. Smith and the Players Association Condemos has played a major role in this. He is an author. He is a historian. And uh, they just had the homecoming reunion. And, Con, congratulations on all you did with that for so many players who may never see each other again. But they had one night to treasure. Yeah, you know, Jack, uh, you, you sit back after these events and you say to yourself, uh, I wonder if I will see these guys again, but uh, we're hopeful, and uh, I know if they're around, they'll be back to East Lansing. It's uh, it, it was a great uh, great event, and uh, I was uh, glad to hear you talking about John L. Smith because he was one of my favorites. Yeah, people don't always see what happens off the field, and the frustration with John L. because the team could score on anyone. But yeah, it's two parts to football. You got to be able to stop the other yeah. team. Uh, sure. it, it did not yeah. happen. Tom Shanahan. Yeah. We're talking to another author, award-winning author. Just received a major award from the Football Writers Association of America. Longtime sports writer in San Diego, and he is the author of Ray of Light, the story of Jimmy Ray. Tom, when you think about these years, 2000 through 2006, between Saban and D'Antonio, Michigan State was a combined 40 and 47. 
but there were so many incredible memories and moments and games that people talk about to this day that uh, it's an era that should not be forgotten. Yeah, and you know, it was really interesting listening to Drew Stanton, and what I liked hearing him say was that uh, he recognizes quarterbacks are judged by their record, but there's such a fine line between winning and losing, and he was on the wrong end of some really tough losses. But if you look at his production as a college quarterback and then going on to a 14-year NFL career, it's hard to believe all he ever got the All Big Ten teams was two honorable mention selections. Uh, Like you say, if they win a few of those games, Drew's probably in uh, the Michigan State Hall of Fame. Well, we've talked about a lot of quarterbacks who've gone on to be All-Americans, starting with Dean Look, uh, his senior season, his only season at quarterback, and then uh, Jude and Jimmy Ray and Tony Banks and Dave Uremus, so many, Eddie Smith. And then on uh, later, you get to Kirk Cousins and Connor Cook. But uh, I'll take Drew Stanton, quarterback, in my team. Yeah, he was a dynamic player. I loved watching him play. <laughs> and, uh, that's also was kind of a funny story. Uh, I think Smoker told it about his dad yelling at John L for having him on the punt team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the funny part was uh, the one guy who was never – hot at John L for that was Drew Stanton, who wanted to get on the field. It was his freshman year, and he was just thrilled to be out there. And, of course, he gets cheap shot uh, on that that punt play, Uh, really one of the more brutal hits you'll ever see. And uh, he paid the price for it. But he came back uh, three years as a Michigan State starting quarterback. Gentlemen, uh, we are now to the final three episodes And the next two will be the Mark D'Antonio era. Really looking forward to that. It was a period that no one saw coming. And uh, five of the most spectacular years in Michigan State history from 2010 through 2015. The back-to-back 11 win seasons. Michigan State had never won 11 games. And D'Antonio did it back-to-back seasons. And then uh, in 2013... Actually, the end of the 2012 season through the beginning of 2016, Michigan State was an incredible 40-5. and five. Think about that. I want to thank uh, Con Demos, Tom Shanahan, Drew Stanton, Jeff Smoker, and Herb Hago.